You're listening to The Film File, the film show for film geeks, by film geeks, and all the stunts on this week's episode have been performed by professionals. Hello and welcome to The Film File. I'm Lee Ford. And I'm not. I'm Andy Meakin. You are Andy Meakin. <laughs> you are more Andy Meakin than you have been for a few weeks. Yes. I'm back to my usual whappy self, basically. <laughs> yeah, Without the medication you're... as well. It's uh, oh, I've, that's I've just, good. I've had like almost six weeks of being various degrees of ill. And now yeah. my body's like, whoa, you're feeling good again. Time to catch up on all the ridiculous statements and comments that you tend to come out with at a normal time. Even me returned back to work this week. Um, it, it was a lot of catching up with uh, my uh, offhand bitchy comments at times. I'm, I'm known for my sarcasm and like little oh, like God. stabs and digs. I, I've known you that long. I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> otherwise. And also like all my witty puns that I like to throw in. So I just had like a few days of just rattling them off one by one. And I'm just like, oh, it's good to be back. <laughs> yeah, you look, you look, as I said, just to start recording, you look like you. You look like the Andy that I'm I'm used to seeing uh, when we're doing this show. You look so much better. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Right. you are in fighting form. Yeah, despite the fact that I'm also like rapidly losing body mass through sweating at the moment. Because boy, it's boy, it's been hot. We're in the autumn, and it's suddenly gone. Oh, oh, we forgot to give you the back end of summer. Here you go. It's been worryingly hot. Yeah, it's for I this mean, time of year. Let's just say. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as climate change. Uh, you know, it's, uh, oh no, there is. Uh, all of this, which we're witnessing at the yeah. moment with the natural weather, is climate change, people. It's not good. The hottest day of the year in September. <laughs> Go figure. It's bizarre, isn't it? it and is there's still bizarre. people out there who deny that there's anything wrong with this planet that we're yeah, on. Yeah, I've, I've caught up with some of that over the last week, and it just infuriates me. <laughs> and, and it's not even though you can debate it or discuss it. Like I've said before on previous shows when we've gone into little political rants, you get to a stage where you realise that these people won't listen when you start pointing out facts, that you just yeah. got to accept that it's a pointless exercise in futility. Mm-hmm. And I've had that happen a few times over the past few weeks where I've said something and someone's commented something. And you just like, do a re- Apply? No, because it's going to be wasted on you because you're yeah. not bothered with it. It's just the world we're in. We, we seem to be getting very political on the show over the recent weeks. I know, so. I know. Well, we we there's a lot going on, but but let's talk about something more positive. Well, it's not positive. Something I want to uh, introduce before we get into the social challenge. So, if you live in Sheffield, then you are aware of one of the greatest music venues there is in this city, which is the Lead Mill. Lead Mill. Yeah. Uh, the home of live music, regarded by many to be the best live music venue, not only in this area, but across the country, voted as one of such by many, many music magazines over the years. It's under threat for getting closed down. There's much more better educated people about what's going on can tell you what the situation is than I. You can just check it out online. After this show airs, when you get this show on Thursday, if you are in Sheffield on Monday the 18th, so that's the Monday after the show airs, there is a demonstration at Sheffield Town Hall uh, to protest about the closing of the lead mill. So if you're around and you really feel, and you should if you're from this city, that you need to be a part of representing your voice about this, this ridiculous act to close down, not something that's going to change people's livelihoods, but 
but change the landscape of, of this city and everything it stands for for creative types and creative mediums and closing down one of the best venues as i said in the country so uh you can find out online as to um, maybe we can find this for the show notes uh what and where and exactly the whole process is to go and demonstrate or you could just turn up at sheffield town hall 9 a.m 9 a.m that's it on the 18th of september yeah uh, when the lead mill posted out this last week i believe it was on their socials feed it was kind of embarrassing to see some of the people responding saying why are you doing it like during the daytime when a lot of people are at work well maybe because the council are in meetings yes, to talk about the, the future of it the at that point in time one person said like oh you should do it on the weekend saturday and sunday what you mean when the council officers are empty and no one's actually doing anything it has to be during working hours because that's when the council are making the decisions and the monday the 18th is when it's the it's the basically the hearing as to whether or not the proposal is going to go through for what is effectively the landlords of the building that the lead mills based in want to take full ownership and kick out the lead mill folk to redevelop it for their own greedy means basically they've seen that the lead mill is successful basically they've seen the money it can make they want to make it themselves but they won't they're not sheffield based the london based and they've done this on three or four different venues across the uk that they brought out for similar reasons and all of those venues have floundered as a result we don't want something which is an institute to sheffield and so important particularly to up-and-coming bands and like unsigned artists to get their voices heard and get their music out there we don't want to see that basically taken over by a corporation yeah, it will and, lose the personality. And that's the thing about the lead mill. It was it was developed by people who had a passion for music. Yeah, I remember when it was just a shed with a big parachute for a roof <laughs> and a bit of a stage. And and I used to rehearse there. It was the first place I ever rehearsed with a band, and it has grown and developed into this incredible institution that is is so representative of the city. The amount of artists that I have seen there it's been used for filming it's been used mm -hmm. uh uh as as a backdrop in in loads and loads of programming and and and, and movies it, it's worth keeping so if you are in the sheffield region pop in if you're not in the sheffield region but you can get to sheffield on the 18th of september for nine o'clock do so it's absolutely worth it it will it's absolutely worth it for keeping keeping creativity alive whether music's your thing or not be there on the morning of the 18th anyway that's our public information appeal for this week so uh social challenges andy mm. we set a social challenge last week how did we do uh yeah the challenge that we set was we were talking about i mean this kind of comes on the back of the fact that james gunn has been criticized harshly by a certain cult fan base for daring to share his own opinions on some how dare he film. i say how, how dare, dare he? and so we asked like are there any critics choices that you just don't gel with you don't get those positively re reviewed films that all the critics are and particularly your, your friends around you all go wow this is amazing and you watch it and go what have i seen is this the same film and you just don't get it and we've had some interesting answers uh, cool. we've had some very interesting answers uh, i just want to start off with uh dave who i work with at work his one is barbarian now he's the only person who i've encountered since that film landed last year who <laughs> has absolutely despised it it's not that he just didn't enjoy it it's not that he didn't quite get it he genuinely said it was the worst experience of watching a film that he's had in years oh wow it, 
he said like he started off well he quite got like the initials tone of it but then it just fell off a cliff rapidly and he just it, it genuinely can't understand how anyone gets any kind of satisfaction from that film and you know what i'm fine with him having that opinion he's wrong like but you know i'm fine <laughs> with him having that opinion um I'm going to do Facebook last because I'm going to finish on one person who's commented and she's expecting my response. Um, so I'll go over to Twitter first where Scott Gillians at TIFF23 said, recently, Power of the Dog, Tatane, Coda, Dune and everything everywhere all at once. All fine, but nothing more than fine. Okay, I, I can kind of see it with other things like, you know, Power of the Dog, Tatane and everything everywhere in particular kind of have a certain like quirk like quirky style to them or like they're a bit out there i can see how people can't gel coda i i, I don't get i don't get any dis dislike for that beautiful film and dune uh, i'll come at you <laughs> <laughs> i'm hoping no one else has said dune because this is this is going to be like really upsetting to me as i'm going through bear in mind at the end of this when i give my own answers i am going to get cancelled by so many people um imran uh, stuck with the sand kind of theories with Lawrence of Arabia. Okay. All-time classic. And I can kind of see that because I think first time that I watched it, I didn't quite get it. Uh, but it's one that I've grown to love more. More for the cinematography and the style of the film. And I do think, even after my most recent watch last year, I do think it maybe drags a slight bit. So I'm kind of with you in a way there. I don't think it's deserving the heaps of praise, but it's still a great film. One that popped up a few times, uh, but Paul Starkey is the first one to mention it. The Shining. Wow. Well, you know what? I, I, I kind of get it. I, I do <laughs> kind of get it. Yeah. I mean, Stephen King doesn't like it. So, uh, yeah. you know, you're not alone if you say The Shining. I like it, but I, I do get it. Um, over on Mastodon, Ziggy Stardust said The Matrixes. Just doesn't get any of them. Not even the first one. Lulu Hell, Titanic. They will never willingly watch it seen clips and that's enough for them and with titanic i mean i enjoyed it when i saw it on the big screen when it first came out i then watched it at home and didn't quite enjoy it as much and now it's a film that i will if it's on tv i'll go back to the tv about an hour and a half in once the iceberg comes into view and i'll watch it from that point because the rest of it is trash oh it's melodrama i i that's on my list but the sink titanic. the sinking of the ship it's technically a marvelous marvelous depiction of you know human peril I will never float, fault that aspect of the film, but all that setup, all that wishy-washy, oh, Jack, oh, nonsense. Up to yeah. garbage. Um, Aussie at Mastodon World, a regular contributor to the questions. Another one for The Shining there. Rev Pud Dudley. Forgot the name of the film already. Ray Fiennes is the restaurateur. When there's not one character that you give a damn for, I quit. Most American movies leave me asking, why did he make this? I guess all those studio people are expecting a check every week. And that will be the menu. Yeah, the menu, which which you and I liked. Well, I said to him, coincidentally, listen to one of my top films of last year. So uh, I, I, it was quite a quite an impact to see that someone actually didn't. And he's not given a damn because there's no characters that you give a damn for. And yeah. I can kind of see that because pretty much all the characters are supposed to be unlikable. I mean, you've got Ray Fiennes as the restaurateur who is supposed to be a villain because he's planning to kill all these people. But you actually start to understand why he's doing it and start to think, yeah, kill them all. They all deserve to be off, except for that one person. There's just that one person who's there who shouldn't be there. And that's the only person that you're supposed to be rooting for. Anyway, uh, I've got to watch the menu again tonight after just reminding myself of how much I love it. <laughs> just to spite you, Rev Pud. I I'm going to point out anything by Harmony Corinne. Oof. 
<laughs> just I, everything. <laughs> everything. I just don't get Harmony Corinne at all. <laughs> the the only one that I thought was accessible was probably Spring Breakers, but that annoyed me as well after a while. I've never got round to Spring Breakers. I did have someone at work suggest Spring Breakers as one that they don't get. I can't remember who it yeah. was who said it, but it, it has been one that the majority of people who I know in my close circle have all warned me off it. So I've never got round to watching it. You know another one? Kajillionaire. Never got that. Oh, I, I quite got that. I, I settled into the charm of it, but I can see why people wouldn't like it. It's an easy one to spot why people wouldn't like it. Over on Facebook, uh, Pat Meekin, Titanic again. Yeah, yeah, with you on that. Never watched all of it, seen parts of it, uh, seen enough. And Alex Meekin, Titanic gets a mention again. Smile, doesn't understand why so many love it. And Cobweb, which I'll be reviewing later in the show, they absolutely hated it. Now, I'm not sure that Cobweb fits into what we said critically acclaimed. I think it's 51% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's not really something that everyone's all falling over but i can get the fact that it's in the public eye at the moment and some audiences are going oh it's great to see horror on the screen and they're not getting it find out what i think of it now we're on to the final roundup uh, pat meekin also added in the enigma code so boring she thinks she walked out of it before it finished owen cooper killing of a sacred deer when i watched the film i have to admit i didn't have a clue what was going on and didn't care enough for it then looked up what the film was about and it still wasn't even that good <laughs> I, I would like that Barry Keegan is still good here though Hugo almost almost had me smash my phone up in frustration a boring mess that doesn't have any heart to it anger rising <laughs> uh, Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> yep I, I, I'm, I'm totally on with that one totally yeah. on with that one I really disliked Bohemian Rhapsody it I thought the performance was great mm. but... uh, as uh, Owen says what could have been if Sasha Baron Cohen would have made the film it could have been so much better. Rami Malek won the Oscar just because it was a slightly lackluster year for the Oscars. And yeah, it's not a terrible film, but it, it just doesn't tap into enough to make it worthy of the praise it was getting. Uh, Lindsay Story replied to Owen to say that she remembered they had to sit through Killing of a Sacred Deer on Owen's recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> now we get to Lindsay herself. And she's she's aware that I'm going to be having a little bit of a rant right now because I replied to her on Facebook. <laughs> Stand by. Roll out the pitchfork, she said. But I've never, ever got the fuss over Pulp Fiction. That started okay. me. That got me a bit like, okay, okay. It's okay, but come on, it's not the best Tarantino film by a long chalk. Okay, you dug yourself out of that hole because it's not. There's better Tarantino films out there. It's caused a lot of arguments, that opinion. I can understand why. I've lost sleep over how much I hate... Donnie Darko, and that's it. That's the gauntlet. <laughs> that's the line crossed. Lindsay, you're wrong. <laughs> Donnie Darko. It was. It was a defining point of watching films at a cinema. I, I believe it was a press show that we were. You there for that press show? We did a double bill of this and something else, and it was basically the best double bill that we've ever had of films back to back. And it just blew me away. It captured the imagination, it captured the sci-fi, it captured me in an emotional level. And it left me confused as to what was going on, but wanting to suss it all out on a time travel kind of vortex kind of approach. I love time travel films. This is my favourite time travel film. And it is a time travel film. Yes, Lindsay, I'm fine with everyone having their own opinion, but please never mention this in my um, <laughs> close vicinity. <laughs> 
because otherwise uh, your team will get docked more points on the quiz going forwards. She also added in Hereditary, bored me senseless, can't believe I put myself through that one again. And can we write Spider-Man No Way Home from my memory, please? Lindsay likes to court controversy, I think. <laughs> yeah. I never got the love for It Comes at Night. I've never seen It Comes at Night. Critics raved about it. I just didn't get it at all. And the the big one, the one that nearly got me run out of town, <laughs> Full Monty. Well, yes, you've mentioned this before. I mean, yeah. Full Monty is one of those ones that not being from Sheffield originally, I can understand people who don't quite get it. But saying you don't like Full Monty when you're from Sheffield, from the South yeah. Yorkshire area, that's like saying Henderson's is just Worcester sauce. Oof. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Full Monty. I just it, just don't get the love for. It's it's like it's like me as a scouser turning around and saying Beatles were garbage. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get you get death threats put towards you. And by the way, I, I don't think the Beatles are garbage. I think that they were one of the most seminal, defining bands of the past hundred years, basically. Yeah. No, I'm um, with you. Now I'm going to get myself cancelled. This is where I upset a lot of people. So I'm going to start off with the obvious. The obvious is Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane, I've seen about four times through my life, each time trying to find out what it is that people say is so good about it, each time finding, okay, the cinematography is okay, but this is garbage. Uh, Disney's Pinocchio. I get a lot of flack for this, but Disney's Pinocchio, the animated version, which is 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, is trash. It is utter garbage. It doesn't <laughs> tap into the actual story of Pinocchio in any way, shape, or form. It's light-hearted fluff, like most of the early Disney animations are. Yes, there you go. I've said that. Peter Pan, Disney animation, not that great. Hook is a better Peter Pan film than, than, than that early animation. Lost in translation. This one almost got me beaten up. I'm pretty sure that someone was ready to beat me up when I said that Lost in translation was utter drivel. Um, I think Sophia Coppola as a director just needs to stop. And every time that her name is attached to a film now, I just lose interest immediately. Lost in translation, everyone always says about the final scene when he whispers to her, oh, what do you think he whispered? I know what he whispered. He said, can you believe we're getting paid for this garbage? Get Out, that's one that saw me almost get absolutely run out of town. I, um, I, I really like Get Out. I don't mind it, but I don't think it's that great. I think it it's flawed. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. I will agree with you totally on that. There's an extremely poor exposition dump in the very first scenes um, when they're packing up to go to her parents, which is basically that she she basically drops all the expedition, exposition dump of what her parents' jobs are and how they've got all their wealth. And that's necessary to know in order to understand what happens later. But unfortunately, it's so clumsily done that as soon as that lines of dialogue was there, I was like, well, I can see what's going to happen here. And I predicted everything. The forced attempt at humour with his friend trying to track him down, doesn't balance well with the rest of the film. So therefore, you've added, you've made me add another one into into that, <laughs> that list. Nope. Well, I've just got two more to be cancelled with. One which you're probably going to be upset with, School of Rock. Don't like it at okay. all. Okay. Well, Genuinely don't right. like it. Um, I, I hate any films that have precocious children achieving something when they don't deserve to. Duke. I want them to, yeah, you're the same with Babadook. Um, but with School of Rock, oh, I, I, I just hate the whole bunch of them. And when it gets to that final song aspect, which everyone goes, oh, this is really great. I was just gritting my teeth and wanting it to end. <laughs> and then the one in recent years, which has upset a lot of people, The Favourite. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. As a result of seeing both Lobster and The Favourite, I ne will now be happy to never watch a Yorgos Lanthimos film ever again. I absolutely despise 
that filmmaker's style. So uh, if there's any listeners left who uh, haven't uh, switched off in frustration, <laughs> Lee will now upset the rest of you. <laughs> yeah, nope, I didn't. I, I had no time for it. Critics loved it. Mm. I just just didn't get nope at all. Didn't know what it wanted to be. Thought at least one character I, I, I was hoping would die very, very early on, but didn't, made it to the end. And Us, I didn't think Us was that great. I didn't the mind was... us. I I like that more than Get Out because us reminded me of a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, with with but it's the last act with it. Where it just um, so they're just hiding the entire all of America and they're basically in a shopping mall underneath the beach. They're just no, no. That's, that sounds legit. <laughs> ben Hur. I never got Ben Hur, the classic Charlton Heston movie. I've I've never seen it. Bored me, bored me, rigid. Absolutely. I know it's considered to be a classic. I find it so, so dull. But that's the thing, isn't it? And and that's the thing about movies is you don't have to like everything. Yes. Except Donnie Darko. Everyone should like Donnie Darko. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some. <laughs> so last week on the show, I mentioned as part of uh, our Neat Things section that I was thoroughly enjoying the after party. I thought it was uh, fantastic. If you've got a chance to, to watch it, go and watch it. Very satisfying final episode as well. Yeah, very good good uh, last episode. And I really, really enjoyed as one of my favourite shows of the year, uh, Poker Face. So our question for you is, who is your favourite or who is the best on-screen detective? The one who can always figure it out. Name the film, name the version of that character. So if you're looking at Sherlock Holmes, who, who's your favourite Sherlock mm. Holmes? But who's your favourite on-screen detective or who always does the job obscure answers please if possible uh, we might let you dip into the realms of tv because i know i would put colombo on that list yes colombo is the right answer isn't it <laughs> yeah so your favorite on-screen detective let us know here at the film file and you can do so by doing just this head over to the usual social media channels twitter facebook etc Search for Film File UK, find the question on there, reply to it. If you're listening to the show via Spotify, answer it via Spotify. It'll be there in the show description. Or drop us an email, podcast at filmfile.uk, and let us know what your pick is. So now you're thinking, what else can be in this show? We've already packed out so much time already. Where can we go from here? Well, we are doing a deep dive this week into, into a movie that Andy hadn't seen up until this week going to be talking about a nice little charmer sing street admittedly i was tempted to change it to donnie darko just to just to spite <laughs> Lindsay. But... <laughs> you're not gonna let that go are you not no. gonna let that go wait until i see her at the cinema wait until i see her <laughs> we have reviews of cobweb which landed at cinemas last week strays which landed at cinemas about a month ago i felt and needed to get around to watching it and another film that's been out for a while at cinemas, and you can still pick, catch it if you look around, Joyride. We've got news, we've got views, we've got all the gossip, and we've also got the box office. The Equalizer 3 came out uh, last week. Looked like it was going to take the number one spot. Did it? That's the big question. Where are we in the world of box office? 
So in the US this week, the Nun 2 opens in first place, taking 32.6 million over its three-day opening weekend. The Equalizer 3 drops down into second place, therefore, taking 12 million this weekend. Other new entry, My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. Yes, there's a third one. Opened in third place with 10 million. Hindi action thriller Jawan opens in fourth place, taking 6.1 million. And Barbie still holding into that top five position with 5.7 million added onto its total. Here in the UK, The Nun 2 again takes the top spot. Horrors always do well over opening weekends and the Conjuring franchise from which The Nun has spun off has always been a popular entry. 1.7 million in the UK this weekend. Jawan opens in second place, 1.34 million. The Equalizer 3 dropping down into third place with 1 million. Barbie into fourth place with 561,000. And Past Lives opens in fifth place with 515,000. Barbie is now up to 1.4 billion worldwide. It's getting close to the end of its run now with the drop-off figures that we're seeing. Oppenheimer is just close to touching on 900 million. A very strong summer with just two films dominating it. Um, my Big Fat Greek Wedding 3 opened worldwide in total with 13.4 million. I can't see the celebration of this wedding going on much longer. So that's the box office. What have we got news-wise? Uh, I'm, I'm still assuming it's a fairly quiet week in the world of news. Yeah, and it, there's a lot of just general speculation news these days, thanks to. And it's uh, time for that little bit of a strike update, uh, which the update is, there's not much of an update. Uh, <laughs> no, there's nothing much to say. I've been checking it out. I'm uh, <laughs> trying to do my best following it. Nah, nada. Now, on the Labour, it was Labour Day holiday weekend last weekend in the States. And on the Monday, the Writers Guild released a video with the WGA Negotiating Committee co-chair, Chris Kaiser, addressing its members in the middle of this current action that's going on in the video he said our feet and backs may ache but our cause is the same our case is the same we're not going to leave any sector of the guild behind these things must be resolved and not with the not with contract language that has a one-to-one -one ratio of promises to loopholes truly resolved they're very keen to make sure that there's no way that the a the amptp can go oh yeah you've all signed this aha but you missed this back door that we can now manipulate um he's added that the members of the amptp are wrestling amongst themselves now and that much of everyone's frustration with how long this is taking stems from their own internal bargaining but he does genuinely positively think that they'll get there so it's it seems that the alliance of motion pictures and television producers are now disagreeing in amongst themselves so it's only a matter of time before that's resolved that we can start getting proper deals put on the table kaiser cited the major strike issues still in contention, the erosion of pay, the abuse of screenwriters, the failure to protect Appendix A writers to, in the move to streaming, the dismantling of the writing process in episodic te television, threat of AI, refusal to provide streaming res residuals that grow with viewership. Each of those things is an existential issue for some or all of us. No movement on the talks. However, Warners have announced that they projected they, uh, they will have lost between 300 to $500 million this year alone through the strike action, which amusingly, if they'd accepted the deals of the WGA and SAG, the total impact would have been 70 million. So they've lost over four times that figure just by being stubborn. No doubt this is a similar situation that is reflected on the other major studios. My heart at this point in time is really bleeding for Bob Iger and Zaslav at losing so much money through their own stubborn insistence to not negotiate. We'll keep you up to date with any of the strike news, but at the moment, it does have an effect on what we talk about um, as far as the news goes. So a lot of it is speculative. And one piece of speculation I have for you 
is that the Last of Us showrunner, Craig Mazin, has actually confirmed that for The Last of Us Part 2, that Abby has been cast in the show's upcoming second season. The rumour going round is that it is Florence Pugh. As I said, at this stage, you're not going to hear anything that is that is definitive because the actors are on strike. So we can't tell you or we don't know when uh, that particular casting announcement will be confirmed. But I think Florence Pugh would be a, a very strong character mm. to play the character of, uh, of Abby. And she's such a dominant figure in the second game if you played it. Yeah. And from what I hear, the second season will be split into two to, to deal with the entirety of the game. Now, if you played the game, you do know that there are flashbacks within that particular game. All rumours at the moment, but Craig Mason has said that they have cast the role of Abby. Yes. Uh, I know that Mason has reaffirmed that he submitted one of the scripts of the second season of The Last of Us before the writer strike. And the rest of the season, he's been writing in his head ever since. So as soon as the strike action ends, he can just put pen to paper straight away and get all those thoughts out of his head. Kind of sticking with Craig Mazin. So let's be honest. A lot of folk rolled their eyes at the initial mention when they were talking about resurrecting the Pirates of the Caribbean film franchise. A chunk sneered at the idea that Johnny Depp might be out and it would be female focused with Margot Robbie in the lead. However, all of that was speculation as to what was going to be happening. But there's definitely going to be a sixth film. And... Mazin himself has been working with Ted Elliott, the co-writer on the first four films, on the script okay. for that. that's news. And it went down well when it came to them pitching their idea. In Mazin's words, we pitched it and thought there's no way they're buying it. It's too weird. And they did. And then Elliot wrote a, wrote a fantastic script. The strike happened and everyone's just sat waiting around. So that sixth Pirates film is happening. Mazin's involvement gets me instantly on board. Yep. Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom have previously expressed interest in returning to the franchise if the script is right, but there's no indication as to whether this is the right script for them to come back for. I know that the last couple of films in the Pirate series were a bit just generic. They weren't I, terrible. I was kind of out by yeah. the fourth one, to be honest. But I think, I think it's one of those franchises that you can return to at some point if you have the right script, because it's just summer blockbuster fun. If it's handled well, summer blockbuster fun. I don't really care if Johnny Depp returns. No, I think they could go somewhere else entirely with the, with the different uh, with different characters. Yeah, I, I think it's a hard sell to the public, but I I do agree with you there, Andy. I don't think you need him. No, um, as much as one one would think. After all, it's Pirates of the Caribbean. It's not. Yeah, it's not the pirate. The Pirates of the Caribbean. The whole idea when it was Margot Robbie planned to be in the lead. You know, focus on a real female pirates from his history and bonnie mary reed rachel yeah. wall chengai so i read a lot of pirate fiction and uh, historical stuff when i was a kid i was obsessed with it maybe not do pirates of the caribbean move it away from the caribbean yeah just call it pirates yeah anyway uh, we'll find out once the strike's over as to what mason's uh plans were for it andy do us a favor yes just go and get yourself a big pinch of salt i'm going to call this feature now the pinch of salt fantastic for rumor <laughs> casting of the week so the latest rumor for the fantastic four and and hey if it's true i am totally with it uh the latest fantastic four rumor you take it with a pinch of salt is perhaps probably the weirdest yet spider-man far from home villain jake gillenhall has been offered the role of reed richards aka 
Mr. Fantastic. Every time that some of these things come out, you look to see who broke the news. And it's usually either Giant Freaking Robot or My Time to Shine Hello, who are behind it. Because all of those, with the lack of news, are going crazy with their spitballing and throwing random names at the wall and seeing what sticks. Alongside that, there's also, and this is another Giant Freaking Robot one, Josh Hartnett as Doctor Doom. Yeah, saw that one. We saw, I, you know, I thought he was, it was great to see Josh Hartnett on the big screen in Oppenheimer because it's been so long since uh, I've seen him have a, a meaty movie role. Uh, he sort of moved into TV. So I, I'd be interested in that. It wouldn't be, Mads Mikkelsen would, of course, be, be the obvious choice. Yes. But interesting. Do you need a name actor to play Doctor Doom? Because really they should be uh, they should be hidden underneath the uh, iron face mask apparently the idea is for dr doom to only have a small role in the fantastic four film with plans for him to be a major player in the latter entries in the mcu and over in the world of batman and this was a my time to shine hello source confirming that young robin is definitely going to appear in matt reeves second film however given that robert pattinson himself joked in an interview prior to the batman that if they adapted his favourite Batman story, Death in the Family, he was quoted as saying, yeah, but he has to be 13. That's the only way I accept it. The fact that they're regurgitating this and saying Dick Grayson's going to be introduced as a 13-year-old in this suggests to me that they're not paying attention to their actual sources. Um, that's a huge pinch of salt. In fact, that's so much that I am collapsed on the ground with, <laughs> um, <laughs> with NACL poisoning. And also Kid Pool in Deadpool. Screen Geek has reported that a child version of Deadpool is set to appear in the Deadpool 3 movie. Potentially, I could, I could kind of see that. It might happen, it might not, but as always, that's a pinch of salt corner. I, I know we've got a new segment now. <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether this is pinch of salt uh, corner material, but of course one of the big movies of the year has been Hoppenheimer, and it is now said that Christopher Nolan has emerged as a likely frontrunner mm. to direct not one, but two James Bond movies. We kind of hinted on this last week when we suggested that this might be a, this might be a good choice to go for Nolan. And then it turns out that after we, after we basically announced it, talked about it last Sunday, everyone started talking about it through the week. As we're predicting again. I know, <laughs> it's, it's not, the, not the first time, Andy. We are sages. Our fingers are on the pulse. Um, yeah, this came from uh, the source of World for Real who claimed that there's, he's in serious contention to both write and direct two instalments with Barbara Broccoli zeroing in on Nolan. There's only been early discussions apparently so far, and since then there's been strikes, etc., which has delayed everything else. The key issue apparently with whether he will get involved, if it is actually true, is the amount of creative freedom he would get, because Nolan doesn't like to be controlled. He likes to have freedom. If yeah. they were given the creative freedom to play with the toys and start the Bond franchise in whatever direction he sees fit. Like we said last week, there's no baggage anymore. It yeah. doesn't need to link to the previous films. It can be a whole new version of the character. can still consider it pure rumour for the moment, but it does open the possibilities for so much to happen with that franchise. Other directors mentioned have been Danny Boyle, mm. Denny Villeneuve, Paul Greengrass, are all on a list, but of course they're on a list because those are the directors you would probably put on a list. Aaron Taylor-Johnson, meanwhile, remains the rumoured frontrunner for the new Bond. Now, with the resurgence of the murder mystery genre in recent years, thanks to films such as the Poirot movies from Kenneth Branagh, 
and Knives Out to TV shows such as Only Murders and The After Party, which we constantly praise. It was only a matter of time for this one to start going through the rumour mill. Jeff Snyder's Above the Line has been reporting this week that the iconic CBS murder mystery series, Murder, She Wrote, is in the works at Universal Pictures. Okay, eventually it was going to happen. They'll (laughs) either go for some kind of complete reboot of the character where she's a lot younger, so maybe her first case. You can see it now. Jessica's writing her first novel and gets involved in a murder, or they do what they did with Starsky and Hutch and sort of send the whole thing up. I'm hoping they don't send it up. By all means, have some tongue-in-cheek humour. I mean, Knives Out does that pretty well. Yeah. And the after party and Only Murders in the Building do it beautifully. Have some humour, but don't do it as a parody. I know that they did try to reboot this property about 10 years ago with Octavia Spencer linked. Okay. As a character who wouldn't be called Jessica Fletcher, but would be a hospital administrator and amateur sleuth blogger. But that version got completely scrapped. Right. But this new version, apparently it's journalist turn writers Lauren Shuler Bloom and Rebecca Angelo, who penned the upcoming GameStop short squeeze film Dumb Money, tapped to write the screenplay. I'd be interested. I'm, I mean, we, we've spoken a few times about how much we love murder mysteries and we like good sleuth things. And Murder, She Wrote is just, it's one of those that, yeah, you could serialise it. You could have fun doing a serialised TV series or you could just do a one-off film and you could really make it something good. But stepping onto Angela Lansbury's, the great Angela Lansbury's shoes is going to be a daunting task for whoever they cast in that role. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I'm, 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 I think there could be some mileage, but I think you'd have to do something and shake up the style of mm. a movie. I would go with the young Jessica Fletcher yeah. and her first, her first mystery. Or maybe, maybe a film which is just going to ask the question, how come over 12 seasons of like 20 odd episodes each, no one picked up the fact that wherever she went, people died. And she was the ringleader. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Called it. All right. So despite recent reshoots uh, addressing the many of the issues that the sequel has had, despite the first film making over $1.1 billion worldwide at the box office, we still haven't had Aquaman and the Lost Kingdoms uh, trailer. To say that this film comes out when andy december december yep we've not seen an awful lot for this it has taken its time getting started but the trailer is finally set to drop this this week on thursday there were some tease shots in a 30 second uh, this is the fad that they've got at the moment trailers for trailers which was released on sunday and it does however still feel like warner brothers have left it quite late deliberately it is rumored that they've more or less given up on promoting the film and the marketing campaign i don't think is going to be too excessive and costly because the dc brand this year has basically been failing despite the money they've been throwing into promoting it and the not too bad quality of the films we all know that in two years time james gunn's new dcos are going to kick off so it appears that pretty much the majority of the general audience have simply given up watching the floundering remains of the current dceu yeah because the marketing team aren't certainly throwing any budget behind it at all do they know that it's going to lose money or they do they not care that it's going to lose money just get the thing out there call it a day but but everybody liked jason momoa's uh take on aquaman uh, and they even sort of set him up at the end of flash but then again no one went to see flash so people won't know that (laughs) Uh, but interestingly andy you're bouncing back from that because i no matter what James Gunn does next, it's kind of tainted. 
the the new form DC Studios already, surely. It, it's probably lucky, really, that they've got a whole year and a half after Aquaman comes out where there's no DC films. There'll be some animated stuff, Creature Commandos, for example, to kind of kickstart this new new era for the DC brand. But I think taking a breather from the big screen is probably going to benefit them because it allows distance to happen and it allows people to start getting excited when first tantalizing images will start in a year's time for the Superman film. Moving to one side with comic book adaptations, here's one that we were asking about only a couple of weeks ago when we said that's kind of gone quiet. The Crow reboot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were staying in comic book land, but... For years and years, they've been trying to reboot The Crow. There were several sequels after uh, the sad loss of Brandon Lee. And we've mentioned that this one looked as though it was going to happen. Pretty much looks like it is going to happen. It's pretty. It was pretty much shot earlier this year. Uh, it's This is a new adaptation of The Crow, um, which has Bill Skarsgård, FKA Twigs, and Danny Houston. A re-adaptation of the comic book material that was previously brought to life in the 1994 cult classic with Brandon Lee, which we did a deep dive into way back in episode 123. Following the story of a man brutally murdered who comes back from the dead to avenge the deaths of he and his fiancée, and it had a 50 million budget, and it's a good chance at a low budget like that that it might just tap into enough of an audience to get a success. Um, The Lionsgate Executive VP of Acquisitions and Co-Productions has said this week in a statement, We appreciate what the Crow character and original movie meant to legions of fans and believe this new film will offer audiences an authentic and visceral reinterpretation of its emotional power in mythology. To work with a creative team led by Rupert's unparalleled visual style and storytelling with a producing team who've made some of the most popular and impactful films the last several decades is a true privilege. And the film is now expected to release sometime in 2024. We should hopefully start to see some nice images from the sets in upcoming months and i'm i for one i'm really excited to see bill Skarsgård in a lead role in this film and i really like the director's work yeah i think he should have done an awful lot more than than what he's done so far i think he's got a great visual style we mentioned a couple of months ago about twilight of the dead which is george a romero's final living dead franchise script that he didn't get a chance to work on before he sadly passed away and we said that how his estate would be we're seeking the right director to bring that vision to life as a final entry into his very politically charged zombie films. And filmmaker Brad Anderson, who gave us The Machinist and Session 9, has been set to direct. Stray Video Game has been a big hit. You know, it's the one about uh, the cat. Anyway, it looks like now there is, of course, a movie adaptation in the works. Yeah. Anyone who's played Stray will know that it was a, it, it was quite a unique game where you're it's a good game it's so much fun it's it's just charming fun but also a really really good open world kind of puzzle and adventure game at the same time well worth giving a shot uh, william friedkin's final film the kane mutiny court martial courtroom drama that deals with naval court martial case involving mutiny at sea has got a release date it's going to release on showtime network's debut on sunday october the 8th at 9 p.m in the u.s time and hopefully we'll get it in paramount plus in the uk not too soon afterwards. And those people who've watched Barbie so many times at the cinema now, they just can't wait for it to be on home release. Mark down September the 12th for the release of the digital ownership of the film. You'll be able to pick it up on all the services to own prior to the physical media version getting released in weeks later. It was said to be one of the flops of the summer, but you know what? It got proved wrong. And Pixar's Elementals, despite a disappointing launch, proved to be 
a bit of a winner. It arrives on Disney Plus just this week. So after you've listened to the show, sit down, give yourself a nice heartwarming hour and a half and enjoy Elementals on Disney Plus as it lands on the 13th of September. Uh, making of documentary, Good Chemistry, the story of Elemental lands on the same day on the service. Good news for people who love Sir Ian McKellen, the 84-year-old X-Men and Lord of the Rings star and acting legend says he's got no plans to ever retire. He told Variety this week, while the knees hold up and the memory, memory remains intact, why shouldn't I carry on? I really feel I'm quite good at this acting thing now. And I'm there for Ian McKellen in any role. Absolutely. Prime Video has announced that its Eddie Murphy-led Christmas movie, Candy Cane Lane, is going to be released exclusively on the streaming platform on December the 1st. Murphy plays a man who's determined to win his neighbourhood's annual Christmas home decoration contest and strikes a deal with an elf, played by Gillian Bell, to cast a spell bringing to life the 12 days of Christmas. Chaos ensues. And that sounds like my idea of hell. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I, I'm a little bit more tolerant on Christmas films than you are, but no. That's a big, big Christmas wrapped at no for me. And that just basically leaves trailer roundup. Yeah, now I've got a good one. I don't know if you saw it, Andy. I'm really intrigued. And I'm assuming because it was made by Hulu that it's going to land on Disney+. And that's the trailer for No One Will Save You. Um, It's due out later this month, so I'm assuming it's going to land Disney+. Uh, It stars Caitlin Dever from Booksmart. Great film. Uh, Directed by Brian Duffield. This is a home invasion horror movie of a different type because this type it is extraterrestrial you had me on extraterrestrial and home invasion it looks great it's on my radar to watch i do like caitlin dever 22nd of september so uh quiz lady caught my eye mainly because i've got a newfound love for aquafina um, sandra Oh and aquafina play sisters who in order to try to get money to pay off their mother's gambling debts realize that aquafina's character Anne is very good sitting at sitting at home watching game shows and answering all the questions correctly and this connected with me because this is exactly what i do <laughs> they set up to go onto the show queue a road trip cross country to get there and then the game show itself what interests me about this is aquafina is playing kind of against type and so sandra o because normally sandra o plays the downbeat like reserved one and aquafina is the loud obnoxious one they flip the roles and it looked quite fun. It taps into everything that I enjoy about comedy and about quiz shows. It's also got uh, Will Ferrell as the host of the quiz show. It's got Jason Schwartzman in there. And it's from the director of Ping Pong Player, Jessica Yu, and the producers of Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which was absolutely brilliant. So yeah, You liked that a lot, didn't you? I remember you, you telling me about it. It's so much fun. Um, and it's going to be dropping on Hulu on November the 3rd. So, so hopefully we'll get it in the UK not too long afterwards. Uh, new trailer for The Exorcist Believer finds Ellen Bernstein returning as Chris McNeil confronting demons. This is looking scary. I'm finding this. Mm. I find it, that it's kind of capturing that first Exorcist movie really, really well. Yeah. And sticking with horror, Thanksgiving, Eli Roth's. Oh, Eli Roth, didn't he used to have a career? He did, yes. Uh, now, this is the one that there was that grindhouse trailer of way back in the yeah. grindhouse films but the trailer for this doesn't look like it's grindhouse it looks like it's gone for classic styled horror i'm interested but eli roth kind of lets me down far mm. too often uh, there was also trailers for spy kids armageddon which lee will turn his nose up and go Ugh. yeah, yeah. And 
to be honest. Ah, I say, and I say that again. As much as a fan of Spy Kids as I am, I turn my nose up a bit at this trailer. Uh, Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nuggets made me chuckle and made mm. me go, you know what, I'm there for that. And the new trailer for The Boys, Generation V, tells you a bit more about what's going to be going on in that, let's be honest, it's uh, the Grey Malkin School for, for Mutants from X-Men, given a, a boys kind of twist. But the trailer of this week, and I'm sure Lee's going to agree with me on this, is Apple TV Plus's series, Monarch. Yes. Now, we've been <laughs> talking about this for some time. November release, date's now being confirmed. We are so in. I, I, I'm going to do a caveat after you finish telling me all about it. It's set within the world of Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong, King Kong, which is the most successful expanded universe since the MCU, by the looks of it. And it's telling a story of the origin of the Monaco organization, but also the present day alongside the current wave of attacks from Kaiju. Thanks to the beautiful casting of father and son combination, Kurt and Wyatt Russell playing the same character in the two different time periods. And it look, you'd think that a TV series spun off from it is going to look cheaper than the films. No, 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 it, it doesn't. Polished. You get to spy Godzilla in the trailer, and it looks just as polished and beautiful as it did on the big screen. And this is going to be an amazing series if it can keep the consistent quality that we expect from Apple TV with their services. The only question I have about this is is why it didn't land on HBO Max, since it was a a, <laughs> a Warner's project. Well, it's more that it's a Legendary Pictures project, right? And if we remember, during lockdown, Legendary weren't very happy with Warners with how Ooh, they no, treated their true. film yeah, releases. Yeah, well remembered. And so they've clearly gone, well, who's going to do this justice? And who's going to allow them to have freedom and the budget in order to do it justice? Apple stepped up to the mark and gave them an offer they couldn't refuse. I, I think Warners shot themselves in the foot during lockdown because they lost the opportunity for quality programming like this. Uh, if you haven't seen the trailer, get on YouTube, watch the trailer, well check it out. It looks stunning. Uh, I said there was going to be a caveat to this. Have you seen the Godzilla Minus One trailer? I have, yes. That looks great as well. <laughs> it's great for people who like kaijus at this point in time. Yeah, yeah. There's so much monster action on the big screen and the small screen. Ah, I'm all over it. And that, folks, that's the news for this week. You're listening to The Film File the film show for film geeks by film geeks remember to hit the like button if you haven't already done so if you haven't subscribed to the show head over to your favorite podcast platform and hit the subscription button and join us every week as this is the first thing delivered to you almost every wednesday you can get in touch with us as well social media channels search for film file uk if we're on there you can message us or you can just interact with us. You can send us emails, podcast at filmfile.uk with thoughts, suggestions, recommendations that you think we should watch. Top lists of films. We're getting close to the end of the year. So start thinking about your top films for 2023 and start getting them into order because we will, as usual, at the end of the year, do our wrap up of the year show. Just get in touch. We love to hear from you. We're all big film fans together, even if you don't like Donnie Darko. You're not going to let that go, are you? <laughs> really not letting that go. <laughs> Never going to let that go. It's now time for this week's Deep Dive. Dive, dive, dive. We deep dive into the hazy year of 2016 for a musical coming-of-age comedy drama written and directed by John Carney, who gave us the Irish... 
musical, for want of a better term, once. This is, shall we just say, a quaint film. A story revolves around a boy starting a band to impress a girl in 1980s Ireland. And hey, who's not formed a band to impress a girl? Yeah, we're talking about Sing Street. Your mother and I really are under a lot of pressure at the moment. We had a look at our accounts and... We're taking you out of school. We're not taking you out of school. We're transferring you. You'll be new then. What's your name? Connor Lawler. Shut up! We have a black shoe policy here, Mr. Lawler. They're brown. They're quite sensible. They're not black. Who knows what this new prison will do for you? This is your time. You see? It's beautiful. How come you're not in school? I'm a model. Cool. Do you want to be in a video for my band? So if you're in a band, sing me a song. Take on me. The story of Connor, uh, a young boy in Dublin during the 1980s, and to escape his strained family, the start of a new school, Connor notices a beautiful girl who begins to occupy every thought. While struggling against poverty, personal relationships, the bullying and life's general woes, he decides to impress this girl by starting a band. So if you ever grew up in the 80s, this has some great reference points. Best thing I can tell you about Sing Street, if you've not seen it, is this film is a charmer. It's one of those films that kind of sneaks up on you, leaves a huge impression, and you walk away with a big happy smile on your face. But it's a film with a lot of dimension. While everything is presented as being fun, rosy, I think, Andy, you'll agree, there's a dark side to this movie. Yes, very much so. Now, this is a film that I've only got round to watch for the first time this week. It's one that I've had oh, really? I th- so many times. I, I, I thought you'd seen it years back. Yeah, I didn't know that. No, it's, uh, it, was, it was always one of those, like, on the edge of my peripheral, but never got round to sitting down and watching it. And I didn't know what to expect. Because if you read the synopsis for this, it sounds like it's going to be a grim, depressing kitchen sink drama. However, whilst it kind of is, because all the themes that it tackles, you know, family breakdowns, bullying, peer pressure, abusive teaching environments, rejection, emotional instability. It's genuinely light and funny throughout. The best way they can describe it is that it's packed with darkened clouds but it's gazing at the silver lining on every one of those clouds throughout it. And even though the subject matters that it's tackling are quite heavy, it never feels heavy. It carries you through beautifully and captures kind of like an innocence and a desire to reach your dreams. You know, that, that genuine belief in self that you think that you can be anything that you want to be when you're at that certain age. And it taps into that really, really solidly. Every turn in this film where it could have gone down a really dark path and other films would have gone down that dark path. It focuses on the positives, the optimism, (laughs) as Frankenfurter in Rocky Horror Picture Show would say. It it suggests don't dream it, be it. If you want to do something, chase those dreams. I said to you off air before that even in the closing moments of this film, which it's not going to spoil anything to say that it's on choppy seas in stormy weather in a very small boat that genuinely any other film would have been like, well, that's capsizing the dying. It goes to credits and you just think, you know what? They're going to achieve their dreams. They're going to do everything that they want to do in life. And you don't see the dark side of it. You're just stuck with the optimism because you come to believe in yourself as much as these characters do throughout the film. 
I, th I think the opposite's almost true as well, because if you were to look at sort of the write-up of, of this, which is, you know, boy forms band to impress girl, you might be expected to think that this is just a throwaway mm. musical, lighthearted comedy. Uh, and, and there are those elements to it, but there's so much more going on that that I think this is why this film has has found an audience. Yes, it is a it is a feel good musical. It's got a huge, huge lot of charm, huge lot of heart. It is incredibly optimistic, but it, it's never tried. No. It never it never becomes that sort of just gloss for the sake of, uh, of wanting to put the two characters together. Yes, it does have lots of sort of pop tunes that, that are, are representative of the era. It riffs on sort of Duran Duran and The Cure and, and that sort of thing. But there's, an, uh, there's, there's so much heart to it and there's so much more depth to it because it's, it is a little bit odd. It, it knows how, in the same way that a film like Gregory's Girl, it knows how to approach romance with a sense of, a sense of honesty. And the filmmakers, in particular, I think John Carney, gives it that bittersweet edge the way that he did with, with Once. It's not Band Slam, one of those type films. It's not School of Rock. Mm. Uh, neither of is it the commitments. It is something uh, about itself. It's, it's the honesty. It's happy. Uh, and it's sad at times. And it's one of those films that, that makes you laugh and cry, sometimes within the same scene. At time of its release, it was unfairly compared by many to the commitments. When all that's really got in common is music, love of music, and Ireland. Yeah, the rest of it, it is completely different. Um, music is hugely important within this, and not just the band that they form and the, the music that they create. And it's the music's actually pretty good. The original tracks that are designed for the film that you see the you see the origin of, you see the composition, the drawing on the experiences in life that they're all going through and how that evolves into the music. It's like you're watching actual creators create something beautiful, but also generally music of the era, like Lee said, is prominent in this film and it's very key. There's, there's moments such as when the siblings are congregating in the room, listening to music while the parents are arguing outside because music is their escape. It's heart. That's scenes like that are the heartwarmingly sweet and touching moments. The somber reasons as to why they're gathered in that room with the door shut and listening to a record are forgotten because they've forgotten it because that's how they that's how they cope with the darkness of the world around them. Music allows them to imagine a better world. That message resonated with me as much as films mean a lot to me and have always been my escape. Music has always been my escape as well. From my early years, of I had one of those. Uh, suitcase record players and oh sure really yeah me too in the 70s and i used to listen to vinyls on there to just escape the world and in this film they tune in religiously to watch top of the pops as a family and we used to do that yeah. at home because top of the pops was huge you were seeing music videos and seeing the reactions of the characters in this two music videos where oh that's really good and that's what we were like this was something special this was something new music had evolved alongside our growing up and it all these impressions that this gave tapped me right in the feels. It absolutely hit close to home as to what music means to me and meant to me during my teenage years and how music evolved who I was as a person. That's why I could connect to this. And I'm sure that everyone out there can connect to it because of similar reasons. have to mention the cast. It's a great oh. majority of the cast are completely unknowns. Uh, Ferdia Walsh-Pilo as Connor is a delight and an absolute charmer. Lucy uh, Boynton as uh, Rafina. Uh, I didn't know she was an American actress. Mm. Um, 
but she just captures that Dublin accent perfect. The only kind of recognisable people in this are Maria Doyle Kennedy, you'll know from The Commitments, and of course Aidan Gillen, who is just now the kind of the godfather of playing anybody who's who's uh, anybody on TV. Mm. No matter what you put him in, this time he plays the father. He just uh, uh, is excellent. Uh, Jack Rayner is probably the only other recognisable face now out of this cast. But you know what? Sometimes when you find that right cast, like The Commitments, the, the film, pun entirely intended, they just sing. Jack Rayner's amazing in this. Uh, Jack Rayner's one of those actors that you just think you should be you should be bigger than what you actually are, but you're kind of glad that he isn't because he's still getting some great roles like in low-key films over the years. I mean, when he popped up in Midsummer, Boy, he's great. Yeah. And the recent years, the TV series The Peripheral, which unfortunately is not getting a second season, he's absolutely marvellous in it. But in this, he's genuinely... that he's the, he's the core aspect of that family dynamic that gives the hope to Connor's character. As, as his brother, Brendan, he's kind of there and supportive and encouraging towards what Connor's dreams are. I didn't know what to expect going into this film. You'd recommended it quite a few times to me. The whole reason for us bringing it to the show was to finally give me that nudge that I needed to sit down and watch it. And I expected to end up it being that it's on and I'm kind of getting distracted by other things. But within five minutes of this film starting, I was drawn completely into Connor's journey. Because I could identify elements of myself within Connor. I could identify that insecurity of that age, that, you know, being from Liverpool, I could reflect on, like, the issues that Ireland was seeing at the time with the low low employment and money struggles. My family unit had similar struggles. And so I could tap into that and see part of my own life reflected and how, at the age of 15, I started to define myself because of my love of music and films started to create a personality for myself and that's what i saw in this and at, like i say you get to the end of this film and rather than looking at the bleakness and the bleak possibilities that everything could go wrong you can't help but think you're going to succeed because that's what this film's about it's about finding the positivity and the energy to continue chasing your dreams even through your bleakest moments thankfully there was never a sequel but there was a stage adaptation uh just like carney's other film once it was adapted for a stage as a musical also called sing street the show premiered at new york theater workshop in december of 2019 after extensive workshops the musical was set to premiere at the lysim theater in march of 2020 but something got in the way and that was the pandemic nevertheless a cast recording featuring the original broadway cast was released in april of 2020 there was a second off-Broadway production in Boston in the US. Let's hope that if it does get to tour the UK or at least get a, a showing mm. in the UK, that it sounds like it'd be absolutely worth seeing because if they just capture the charm of the movie, then it would be fabulous. Yes. Andy, where can we find Sing Street? Now we've sold it in all of its glory. If you subscribe to the Lionsgate slash stars package via Amazon, it's on there to watch as part of your subscription. If not, £3.50 will get you a rental of it on all the usual services such as Apple TV+, Amazon, Google Play, etc. Well worth checking out. If you've never seen it, like I say, this week, my first time watching it, and I'm already marking it down that I want to revisit this film again. I just found such warmth and charm within its somewhat bleak environment. And that's this week's Deep Dive. And of course, we'll be back with another Deep Dive next week. And now it's time for our reviews.
when when I say our reviews, I mean Andy's <laughs> reviews. So this week, let's start off with newer release, Cobweb. Uh, I've seen the trailer for this, and I kind of like the look of it, but the word of mouth hasn't been great. It's okay. It was just a bad dream. again. No more nightmares tonight. Okay, champ? <gasps> Daddy! This is getting ridiculous. This is an old house. There's bound to be bumps in the night. Peter drew this? Yes. Is he all right? Peter has an overactive imagination. A young boy named Peter is plagued by strange noises coming from the walls of his bedroom. His parents dismiss the idea as just wild, childish imagination, but they appear to be hiding something. As his fear of the noises grows, he starts to hear a voice speaking to him and becomes certain that his parents are definitely hiding something from him. Samuel Bowden's first time directing plays a little safe to the formula on offer here, with no real surprises in store for anyone even moderately versed in horror films. But I am kind of forgiving with first offerings from creatives in horror, as it makes sense to stick to the formula whilst you define your style. And thankfully, stylistically, Bowden's approach holds well. The creative design of the house is dank and creepy in that dark and tinted filter approach that all haunted houses appear to be. Nobody has heard of decent wattage light bulbs, it seems. And it serves to create an atmosphere which has you seeking out the shadows to see if there's anything residing in them. Some deft touches of camera work and setup keep the tension mounting in such a way that you no longer care that you can predict where it's all going, because you're just happy to be along for the ride. Let's make it clear, horror films that have a child actor as the focus of the haunting or possession all hinge on the performance of the child. Films such as The Babadook are let down by the kid being absolutely terrible, breaking the scene any time he opened his monotone mouth. But thankfully, Woody Norman, who plays Peter, impresses and convinces. You can sense his fear and you care for his plight throughout, both at home or in his troubled school environment. There's some blood and carnage towards the latter half to satisfy those craving that kind of horror. But for me, it was the psychological play on offer that worked better and it served its purpose. Whilst overall not a great film, it's certainly worth a watch and definitely makes me interested in seeing what Bowden works on in the future. And your next film? <sighs> Oh, there was a sigh before you start that one. So I'm, I'm kind of assuming we're going to go down a certain uh, a certain road with this one. Comedy offering Strays that landed at cinemas recently. Beware of Strays. Snoop Dogg! Hi there, big dogs. I'm trying to get home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know which way that is. Oh, great! Right up my... That, that's gross. Oh, no, that can't be right. I was still drunk when I agreed to do this. You can do anything you want. Really? I was recently with this couch. Best sex of my life. Wow. It was nice to meet you. Will Ferrell and Jamie Foxx are strays. The cops. Oh, fresh meat. A few months before the trailer campaign began on this film, I was invited to participate in an online survey where I got to see the trailer and TV spot campaign plans and comment how much they interest me. Rating things like how amusing it looks, how engaged you were with it, what you feel about the film, etc. Suffice to say, my answers were very low-ranked, and my comments that are left highlighted how forced and stilted and laboured the whole sordid comedy affair felt. It seemingly felt at the time that 
The film was trying to aim at five-year-olds with the mentality of what was on show, but with language aimed towards the adult crowd, and it didn't know what it wanted to be. Then the trailers actually came out, and nothing had changed. So I must have been in the minority that hated on the trailers, and others who were surveyed must enjoy brain-rotting entertainment. My expectations, suffice to say, were very low going into this, and thankfully, it lived up to those expectations. An abandoned dog named Reggie wants to get back to his abusive owner and encounters foul-mouthed stray Bug and his pals Maggie and Hunter. Together, they begin the journey back to Reggie's owner, Doug, who, once Reggie realises the abusive relationship for what it was, he decides he's going to bite his dick off. That's the level of comedy on offer here in this attempt at a dirty take on films such as The Incredible Journey. Playing purely to the crash throughout, I lost track of how many times the film tried to generate laughs through the suggestion that dogs will hump anything, and I barely raised a smile for the entire runtime. Not that there wasn't at least one moment of amusement. There's one moment where another dog is narrating his own life, mocking the kind of films in which that happens in quite a fun way. But at best, there's maybe two minutes worth of fun within this whole film. The rest of the runtime is utterly dreadful. It doesn't help matters that many scenes look like they just filmed dogs being dogs and then tried to improvise over them, giving the level of comedy that you get from Harry Hill adding silly voices to home videos on You've Been Framed. The interaction between the dogs is stilted, it lacks punch, and it leaves time for a lot of awkward silences where you kind of suspect that the filmmakers anticipated audiences howling with laughter that never arrived. The makers of this film need to go round all cinemas with plastic bags and clean up the mess they've left. So you've really not sold that to me. That one belongs in the pound. <laughs> and lastly, what do we have? I actually watched this film a couple of weeks ago and I've been sat on waiting for it to talk about it. And I think now, after saying how bad Strays was as a comedy, I've got a newfound appreciation for this next one. And that's Joyride. I fancied this. I, I mentioned this to you, didn't I? That I actually, there was mm. something about this. I, I thought I... I thought I might give this a go. Let's find your birth mother. Will you come with me? Beijing, baby! Unicat lives there now. Our connection is based on spiritual, not physical, intimacy. You don't miss it? <laughs> you do not know where you come from. How do you know who you are? Give it some time and find your people. China looks good on you. I wore that dress the night I was deflowered by the love of my life. Oh, Grandpa? Now. The writer of Crazy Rich Asians, Adele Kim, delivers her directorial debut with Joyride. Ashley Park plays Audrey, whose business trip to Asia goes sideways, resulting in her enlisting her childhood best friend Lolo, Sherry Cola, a college friend named Kat, Stephanie Sue, and Lolo's quirky cousin Deadeye, Sabrina Wu, to help out. The experience and journey threatens the friendships while also opening each of the group's eyes to who they really are and what is really important in their lives. Marketed on the back of the connection with Crazy Rich Asians, Joyride isn't as sharp or well presented as that film was, which meant that I found myself somewhat underwhelmed as the end credits rolled. But this is a film that has sat with me since, and have since re-evaluated my perception of it, and have come to look past the elements that irked me and find the charm within, much in the same way the group of friends look past each other's flaws to grow a greater love for each other over the course of the film. So what didn't work for me? Primarily, it was the occasional gross-out edge of the humour. Attempting to tap into a bridesmaid-esque edge, this tone sadly didn't sit well within the rest of the film and sometimes felt unnecessary and forced. Yes, some of it did raise chuckles, but that didn't stop it from almost breaking the scenes that it played out in. But thankfully, a lot more of the film does work 
to offset the damage. The cast are all great, tapping into their very different mix of personalities perfectly and creating a friendship dynamic that you can't work out why it works, but you can just accept that, like a jigsaw, they're all different shapes that fit together and make one great whole. The result is a charming tale of friendship through turmoil, and there's a really solid emotional edge to the film that, I will admit, resulted in a lump in my throat towards the final act. Joyride is a flawed but fun and charming comedy, and over time has gone in my mind from being one I'd suggest maybe avoid to one I now recommend people check out, and I intend to check this out again when it drops on one of the streaming services. So that's this week's reviews, but what is landing for your entertainment this week, whether it be at the cinema or on streaming? Cinemas this week. We've spoken about this on the show. Dazed and Confused has got a 30th anniversary reissue this week. How oh, I love that film. I saw it in the States, and I saw it with somebody who said, that was my, my life, that's how I grew up, and I was so <laughs> envious. We've mocked the franchise on the show. Rise of the Foot Soldier gets another entry, Vengeance, this Unbelievable. week. Unbelievable. It's still going. I can't believe it's still going. But the film this week at the cinemas that I really want to see, and that's A Haunting in Venice, the latest Poirot mystery. I'll join you for that one. So hopefully we'll both get to see that before next week and be able to talk about it on the show. Over on Now TV and Sky, it's a film that I quite enjoyed earlier this year. Knock at the Cabin gets a release on Sky. And then two new films, All My Puny Sorrows and Spin Me Round, both land on Now TV and Sky this week. On Netflix, El Conde, a dark satire that imagines imagines Chilean dictator Augustus Pinochet as a 250-year-old vampire. Looks quite fun. Over on Disney+, Plus, Welcome to Wrexham Season 2 lands. Yes, no spoilers, please. I don't want to know how this season ends. I don't want to know if Wrexham go up or not. Oh, I already know. Uh, but it's more fun watching Ryan Reynolds. That's all I'm watching it for, let's be <laughs> honest. Paramount+, Plus, Lower Deck Season 4 started this week. Quick reminder for everyone to tune into this because the uh, first two episodes were really good and it's great trek. And Apple TV Plus, The Morning Show, season three, is landing this week. Never got into that. Uh, I have been watching Invasion. Season two's just started. Uh, I think we're three weeks in on that. I have thoughts. I'll get around to watching that eventually. Uh, as I said earlier in the show, you can catch on Disney Plus. It will have started its run by the time this episode comes out, but you can't go wrong with elementals we we yes. loved it didn't we andy oh yeah beautiful film upper tier pixar i've got to point out landed on disney plus i've not got time to watch it yet but i was a huge fan of justified and the new series of justified uh fantastic series i hope the new series is as good they've landed all episodes together so that's me one evening one couple of days catching up with that and that folks that's us done for this week as ever, thank you for joining us here on The Film File. But before we go, yes, it's time for our neat things, where we get to tell you about stuff that we've enjoyed, stuff that uh, we can share, whether that be a book, a movie, a game, even a meal. As long as we think it's neat, we're going to tell you about it. Andy, your neat thing for this week is... So over the past few weeks, whilst I've been off work, etc., and now that I'm back at work, I've been focusing on a few video games, two, two in particular. Now, one of them is one that we've mentioned on the show multiple times and I've gone back to just to just to work through again in anticipation of the latest game coming out soon. And I've been playing the Spider-Man game, but that's not the one that I'm bringing as the neat thing. This past week, Starfield arrived. And thanks to me having my Xbox Live subscription, don't have an Xbox, I've got a PC, PC Master Race over here. I got Starfield for free through there. And I've read the hype, I'd read the buzz, wasn't sure what to expect. 
and I've jumped into it and I'm not far into it, but boy, I'm enjoying it. There's a narrative pull, there's a thread that pulls you through that you can go from this quest to this quest to this quest. But as you'd expect from Bethesda, who gave us the Skyrim and um, Morrowind games, etc., it's very open world and you can easily lose the path and go off and do your own thing. This a level of freedom I love. I did exactly the same as what I did in Skyrim. And that is, once you get to a, a inhabited town, I accidentally pulled out a weapon and shot someone. <laughs> I tell you what, did you ever play uh, Red Dead Redemption? The amount of people I accidentally oh, killed. Yeah. <laughs> Entire towns. Constantly got bounties on my head. Well, as soon as like I, I, I'd accidentally shot someone, and then all of a sudden I've got guards chasing me through the town. It's like, this is me having to either reload or go and wait until the heat dies down and pay off a bounty. And I love games like that. I love games that if you stupidly, as I do so often in any RPG games, pull out a weapon in amongst the crowd, I'm just destined to hurt myself. And this this pays you. You do it. It's done. And yes, releasing this game around the same time as the highly acclaimed Baldur's Gate 3, which is on my radar to pick up at some point, has seen some criticism levied that Starfield doesn't really push the RPG genre in any way. But I don't care, because Bethesda do this well. And they have basically adapted everything that they've done with the Elder Scrolls games over into a science fiction kind of environment and made it just immensely enjoyable. It is worth noting that even though my computer's pretty good spec, this is intense. And I've had to knock the graphical settings down significantly because I tried it on full spec and it was like watching a flick book. It was, it was shocking. I need a better graphics card. I need a really expensive graphics card and that, then I'll be able to do it justice. But even on the lowest graphical settings, this game looks amazing. I can see myself losing a lot of my life into a game like this simply because I get distracted quite easily by side quests. And in this, you don't even need the side quest to get distracted you can literally just fly to a random planet in the middle of nowhere and just start exploring awesome um i've got to i've got to find a new game i've just finished uh, the guardians of the galaxy game which i talked about a couple of weeks i need something else i'm always on the lookout for a new game so my neat thing is something that i don't own so it's different but it's something that i tried out and boy, they're awesome. And um, I, th I think it might be on the Christmas list. So you and I are big moviegoers. Uh, you travel a lot, so these would be absolutely perfect for you. Uh, hard to do for me that drives a lot. But I, I was blown away. So I'm going to set you the story before I tell you what they are. Um, I was recently down in Wales, got talking to a guy, up-and-coming screenwriter, Chris Jonty. And he mentioned to me that he um, he doesn't drive, so he's always sat on trains, and he's and he watches movies while traveling. But he watches movies via the Enreal Air AR glasses, augmented reality, basically for for those who don't know. They look like a pair of Ray Bans. They attach from a cable outside of the back of your uh, headset, just through the arm, to your phone, where you can watch movies in full 4k and literally you are your own cinema they are absolutely amazing the quality of the screen is is, is unbelievable so you can you can basically you could walk around watching a movie which is crazy i know or you could look at the elements of your phone on the on your glasses but even if you don't want to have headphones on there, there are little speakers in the 
in the uh, in the arm of the glasses so you can you can hear the sound almost directly into your ears by where the speakers are or if you are more more intent on not wanting to bother anyone else you can just put on some some earphones they are incredible i i couldn't believe how good the quality of watching the filmic experience because that's all you can see it is your peripheral vision so in each eye of your lens you have a screen and then of course because the stereo once you see it you're getting a perfect screen in the middle of your glasses fantastic i so want a pair of these so if anybody from uh, x real is listening <laughs> to the show uh, send us a pair so we can talk about it this is the future if you send us a, both a pair, we will talk about this technology for the next 100 episodes. I think that, <laughs> I've just looked on their website and boy, I'd love a pair. But, but you'd, you'd absolutely love them. So you can, uh, let's say you're on a flight uh, and you wanted to black out because uh, everything else is on it. There's there's like a, a clip on blackout that you can, uh, you put over the top and you can shield from any light. But I was just, just absolutely blown away by the quality of the image because you're getting full 4K mm. right in front of your eyes. And it's distanced in such a way that it's not like you're right in the middle of the screen. It's sort of like being sat on row three or row four in a cinema. Unbelievable. It's getting added onto my Christmas list. So if anyone's got £400 to spend on me this year, feel free. <laughs> uh, yeah, mine too. Mine too. Um, that, folks, that's us done for this week. Thank you, as ever, for joining us here on The Film File. Keep in touch. We'll be back again next week with a, uh, another show and hopefully you've come over to say hi if you are at the Q&A that Andy are doing if you're at the Q&A that Andy and I are doing at the Light Cinema this week. Andy, I know we've I know by the time this goes out uh, it'll be it'll over. It'll all be done. It'll all be done. And that would have been us doing a Q&I for the film Kick Out with band members from the band The New Town Neurotics. Um, so if you were there Hello again. If you uh, uh, couldn't make it, where were you? So I'll see you next week, Andy. All right. See you next week. Hopefully see you before then to watch um, a bit of Poirot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep me uh, keep me. I'll let you know. Room. I'm not like sure that. when I'm going to get a chance to see it. So, Andy, your only problem is you're not happy being sad. But that's what love is. Saying you don't like Full Monte... Full Monte? I haven't saying it in a straight Monte. Saying you don't like Full Monte. Oh, I did watch um, the Meg and the, the Meg and the Meg two back to back just because uh, it's been it's been a few years since I watched the Meg. Quite still quite enjoy the Meg. See what you mean about yeah. Meg two? Yeah, I'm glad it's not just me. I mean, if you're doing a film about giant sharks, why wait for most of the film before you actually have the bloody giant sharks? are all on a list but of course they're on a list because those are the directors you would probably put on a list yeah you'd be very careful when you say put, putting on a list when you're talking about directors in hollywood these days <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it means something completely different when you say he's on a list <laughs> this t-shirt was dry when we started <laughs> i am in, sweating profusely <laughs> i'm in my back office room and thankfully it's cooled down quite a lot i was shedding it which we know your reason for hating the Babadook, yes. primarily, is the kid is shite. Woody Norman is Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Woody Norman is what you think, Andy. For your entertainment this week, whether it be at the cinema or on streaming. Well, anything's better than strays, so uh, feel free I to check out I think I'm anything. starting to see 
some clues that, that Strays is really has not been the film for you. Oh, it just offended me. <laughs>